0: Welcome to the TEFL Training Institute podcast, the bite-sized TEFL podcast for teachers, trainers, and managers. Hi, everybody. Welcome to our podcast.
1: Hi, everyone. So uh, on our podcast, I think we spend a lot of time talking about speaking, but we haven't ever really directly tackled the idea of fluency.
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: So today we've got, once again, Paul Nation, Emeritus Professor at the School of Applied Linguistics and Applied Language at Victoria University, New Zealand, to talk to us about fluency and vocabulary and how those two things link together.
0: So Paul is one of the world's leading researchers and writers on vocabulary and fluency, and we're incredibly lucky to be able to have him on our podcast.
1: As usual, we've got three areas that we'll cover in the podcast. So firstly, we'll ask Paul, why fluency is important? And then secondly,
0: and how can teachers help students develop fluency? And the third one,
1: what are some common mistakes that teachers make in teaching vocabulary and helping students become fluent? Hello Paul.
0: Hey, hello. How are you doing? Yeah, good. So before we go on to fluency, let's start off by talking about vocabulary.
2: Yeah, no problem. Uh,
0: Why have you dedicated so much of your career to vocabulary and
2: vocabulary research? Well, there's a couple of reasons why I focus on it. I guess being important is one of the reasons. I mean, the vocabulary knowledge underlies every language use skill. And so, you know, without vocabulary, you you can't do much in the way of listening, speaking, reading or writing. And the other reason I probably focus on it is that it's been a very poorly researched area in the past. In fact, some of the worst researched areas that I know of in applied linguistics are actually in vocabularies.
1: Can you tell us a bit about fluency then? I mean, maybe just to start off, why is fluency so important?
2: One of my favorite stories about that is when I was in Japan, we went on a train and we weren't quite sure whether we're going to the right place or not. So I looked around the carriage and there was a very studious looking young woman there wearing glasses and looking like a student and that. So I I asked her, is this the train to Osaka? And she looked at me and a look of dismay came over her face and she buried her hands in her face. And I said, oh, my goodness, what have I done? You know, have I caused her to lose face and what's going to happen as a result? But anyway, someone further down the carriage, a man said, yes, Osaka, you know. And as the train went along, this woman pulled out a book and started reading it. And so being nosy and I dropped my pen on the floor and had a quick look at what the book was. And she was reading a book called The Macroeconomics of Agriculture in English. Now I couldn't read a book called The Macroeconomics of Agriculture in English, and even even being a native speaker. And when we got off the train, she came up to us and said, "Where are you going?" You see. Now I bet that she had been practicing that sentence for the last, you know. 20 or 30 minutes before we got to the station and I said the name, and she said, follow me. And we, we had a, a sort of conversation. And, but here was someone with enormous knowledge of the language and yet not fluent in some of the really basic things that she could have quite easily have become fluent in. And so it meant that these avenues of use and that were, were closed off to her. So I think it's really important that about a quarter of the time on a course is spent getting fluent in reading, getting fluent in writing, getting using just a little bit that you know even, but making sure that you can really use it.
1: So Paula, with fluency, I think there's this concept that for students, they only really become fluent or develop fluency at maybe intermediate or advanced levels, and you wouldn't really think of a beginner as being fluent. When do you think it's useful for students to start to develop fluency?
2: My, I, I can't really talk about anything nowadays. It seems without having to get onto what I call the four strands, and the four strands are simply learning through input, learning through output. Deliberate learning and developing fluency. So each one of those I call a strand. Which and the and the basic principle is that in a well balanced language course, there should be roughly equal amount of time spent on each of these four strands at every single level of proficiency. If you're learning a language for survival, uh, David Crab and I did some research to set up a A survival vocabulary for foreign travel which is about 120 words and phrases that if you know those you can actually do quite a lot in the language you can travel around you can get food you can find accommodation you can be polite to people and so on like that now the thing is you've got to learn those but the the other thing is you've got to really learn them fluently so that means so that you can say them in a, in a way that people will understand and when people reply you need to be able to interpret what they say at a speed which will make it useful for you, you know, and, and so even then at learning a survival vocabulary, you've got to get fluent and, 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 and that kind of fluency is quite easy to develop because you just keep getting people to repeat it over and over again to you and you get faster and faster and faster and you keep practicing and practicing and doing that, but it's very important because a lot of students actually have quite a lot of knowledge of English, but they don't have the fluency to put it into practice.
0: Paul, can you please uh, share some practical activities uh, which teachers can use in the classroom to help their students and develop those skills, um, you know, to be more fluent?
2: Yeah, well, I've, I've written lots of books, but the one that I like the most, one that gave me the greatest satisfaction having written it, is called What Should Every EFL Teacher Know? Because in there, I, I sort of wanted after training teachers and and teaching english and that for well over 50 years i thought if i can't sit down and you know and reading all the research and if i can't sit down and say in a fairly simple and clear and direct way what i think efl teachers should be doing then there's something wrong with you know i haven't spent my life well and, and so I wrote that book, and then as as part of doing it, I, I sat down and I thought, well, what 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 if I had to choose twenty teaching techniques and activities, what would they be? the top ones that people should know? So I came up with a list of those which are which are in the book. But the ones for speaking fluency are are uh, is a very one is a very interesting technique called four three, two, where, The the students choose an easy topic and then they sit down with a partner and then for teacher says go and then for four minutes they have to talk about that really familiar easy topic and after exactly four minutes the teacher says stop, change partners, then everybody moves on to a new partner and then for three minutes the same people, half of the class, have to talk again to their partner saying exactly what they said before to their new partner but doing it in three minutes. And then after three minutes they move on to another partner and then they have to do it in two minutes. Now that that's a that's a very simple, easy but very effective technique for developing spoken fluency. Another one would be repeated delivery of a talk, which is a bit like 432, because repetition is one of the ways of, of developing fluency. It's what I call the well-beaten path to fluency, and that is You keep doing the same thing over and over again until you get really good at it. Another way of developing fluency is a rich and varied map where you do similar things but not exactly the same thing. You change it in some way so that you keep coming at the same stuff but you're doing it in different sorts of ways. And A very useful technique for that is called linked skills where people might read about something, then they might write about exactly the same topic then they would have to get up and speak about that topic. And so having now read about it, written about it, then when they come to speak about it, they can do that speaking with a lot of knowledge and use that speaking as an opportunity to develop fluency in speaking, drawing on that knowledge.
1: I remember, Paul, a few years ago... In fact, I think we did a podcast about this. Uh, So I remember reading a paper that you wrote that was warning teachers of the danger of teaching uh, vocabulary in lexical sets or or semantic sets. Can you tell us about some other examples, maybe, of where you think there's a gap between what research says works with teaching vocabulary and what teachers tend to do for teaching vocabulary?
2: The lexical sets one is interesting because, once again... The research is starting to show that there are sort of niceties to that lexical set idea comparing immediate learning compared with a long term retention from it. There's interesting research which shows that the interference is greater with, say, if you're learning fruit together, it becomes harder with fruit which in some ways resemble each other like apples are more like oranges than they are like bananas and so you're more likely to get interference between apples and oranges than you are between apples and bananas in terms of the word form and its meaning but that's one area but i would say that the greatest mistake is one i've mentioned already which is the idea of you know vocabulary needs to be taught i would say another belief that's sort of encouraged by people who haven't read the research is that vocabulary needs to be learned in context Well, they often express this negatively in the sense that it's not good to learn vocabulary out of context. And the research is quite the opposite. Learning vocabulary out of context is highly effective and highly efficient. The idea, for example, of using bilingual word cards or bilingual flashcard programs is a very good idea. And yet it's often criticized because it says all the vocab isn't learned in context. But if it's part of a well-balanced program where there's opportunities for learning from input output and fluency development which are all in context then some deliberate learning using the first language translation learning the word without any illustrative context around it is very effective and efficient
0: yeah that one is really interesting i think that's very different to what most teachers believe and what gets taught are most of the teacher training courses yeah well
2: well steve krashen Criticized this saying that this learning will not be learning which will be of use when you come to use a language normally And I tackled him on this at a conference one time and I said does this apply to vocabulary? You know the idea that deliberate learning doesn't result in the kind of knowledge you need for normal language use He said yes, it applies to vocabulary. I said good so we went away and we got one of our PhD students working on it. And she showed the deliberate, decontextualized learning of vocabulary resulted in both implicit knowledge and explicit knowledge. And implicit knowledge is a kind of knowledge that you need for normal language use. This kind of flashcard learning, you can learn enormous amounts in a very short time, but there are very important principles to follow when you do this learning and these are principles which have been well established by psychological research or research in psychology over the last almost 100 years or so involving repetition uh, spacing of the repetitions retrieval that means not looking at the word and the meaning together all the time but having to try and retrieve or recall the meaning that went with the word you know and if you can't recall then you have a look but the idea of spaced retrieval is very important and the idea of varying the order of the words being learned so you're not learning them in the same serial order or anything like that. There are very simple guidelines for that kind of learning, but they're very important guidelines. And if learners are trained in how to do that, and, it you know, training is not a big deal for that, um, they can learn large amounts in a very short time, then this allows them to really then, you know, make good progress through, say, extensive reading and extensive listening and things like that because they bring all this background knowledge of decontextualized learning, which now becomes contextualized through their reading and listening.
1: So, Paul, I'll put a link to your University of Victoria webpage. Is that the best place for people to go if they want to find out more uh, about your work?
2: Yeah, the latest thing on that website is um, the updated vocabulary levels test, which is really the most useful test for teachers of English as a foreign language to do to measure their learners' vocabulary size. And then I wrote a book for learners called "Or oh, What Do You Need to
1: Know to Learn a Foreign Language? But
2: that's free for download,
1: yeah. Thanks so much again for taking the time to, to come no, and talk to no us. No problem. Good luck Thanks, with Paul. your work. Bye, everyone.
0: Bye. For more podcasts, videos, and blogs, visit our website
1: www.tefotraininginstitute.com If you've got a question or a topic you'd like us to discuss, leave us a comment.
0: And if you want to keep up to date with our latest content, add us on WeChat at TEFL Training Institute.
1: If you enjoy our podcast, please rate us on iTunes.